Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. Each week, we explore the beliefs shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the events unfolding around us. Throughout the month of June, communities around the country have been holding pride festivals, parades, and events to celebrate the contributions of the LGBTQ community. Part of the celebration includes the rainbow pride flag. We see them displayed to convey inclusion in lots of places this year, from homes and businesses to houses of worship to public buildings like schools. But not everyone is happy. It's a political ideology. The only flags that should be displayed in school are the American flag, because we're all united under this country, your state flag, and if you have a county flag. That's Julie Bennett. She's a member of the Howard County Chapter of Moms for Liberty. She came down to Montgomery County, Maryland, to join a protest in front of the school board meeting earlier this week, organized by several groups, including the Montgomery County Chapter of Moms for Liberty, conservative Orthodox Ethiopian churches, and conservative Muslim groups supported by the Council of American Islamic Relations and the Religious Freedom Institute. This new conservative coalition in Montgomery County is making national news, in part because its racial and religious diversity is a stark contrast to most events organized by Moms for Liberty. And that has political implications. Julie told me she came down to lend support, but also with hopes of learning so she could replicate what she's seeing in nearby Howard County. The school board protest is over a recent decision by the school system to no longer allow parents to opt their children out from English-language classroom instruction when reading age-appropriate stories with LGBTQ characters. We want to make sure that our children are not forced to learn uh, something that's in contrary, uh, so that's contradicting uh, to what we're telling them, that's against our religion, our belief system. We should not be revoked of our rights to keep our children away from that cl- class and from, edu- from that education. We should have our religious right. We should also have our parental rights. That was Amira. She's an Orthodox Christian and a recent immigrant from Ethiopia. She learned about the protests in a WhatsApp group. Her kids don't attend public school, but she explains why she is at the protest. She's standing here wearing a mask, an Orthodox cross on a chain, as she holds a handmade sign with the message, keep off from our children. My kids are in private school, but what's coming out here is going to come everywhere tomorrow. And before that happens, I want to be able to raise my voice. Passions are running high. Among the hundreds gathered, many, like Amira, were from Silver Spring and the surrounding Washington, D.C. region. This is home to the largest Ethiopian diaspora community in the country. Outside the school board meeting, guarded by security, protest leaders lead the call and response. We don't hate anyone. We don't hate anyone. We don't hate anyone. We don't hate anyone. What's happening in Montgomery County, Maryland, is not isolated, but it's unique in part because this is one of the most diverse counties in the United States. While the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty 
is suing the school system on behalf of parents in U.S. District Court in Maryland, claiming that reading the books with gay characters essentially constitutes sex education, which would then mandate an opt-out option. The school system says that's not the case. The organizers here are hoping to build public support to support the litigation, but also to inspire more to join the protest and pressure the school board. This meeting on June 27th is the third such protest, and it's drawn the biggest crowd yet. The backlash to the school's decision to adopt inclusive books is provoking a lot of fear-inducing rhetoric, and that has the community on edge. A neighborhood in Silver Spring waking up to find pride flags burned right outside their homes. This empty flagpole is where the Siddiqui family proudly hung their pride flag for years until someone in the middle of the night Wednesday set it on fire. That someone like came up to our house and did this very gross, angry act. The day after the protests, vandals targeted homes with rainbow flags. While the perpetrators have not been found, Montgomery County leaders have taken action as hate incidents on a host of issues are on the rise. This week, I was appointed to serve on an anti-hate crimes committee task force to work with fellow community leaders on ways for our community to come together and address the many types of hate that have been on the rise. The first time I worked on responding to hate crimes with faith communities was after the brutal murder of Matthew Shepard, when we organized a series of Stop the Hate vigils. That was more than 25 years ago, when I was on staff at the Interfaith Alliance. That's a nonpartisan, faith-based organization with chapters around the country. This year, the national organization has launched a different kind of campaign called Pride Faith creating opportunities for people of faith and goodwill to support community events and remind the public that there are faith voices on all sides of this issue. Back in the 1980s and 90s, that was not so much the case. As the religious political right gained power, oftentimes the only faith voices we heard were on one side of the issue. Today, the movement is different. To learn more about Pride Faith, I talked with Maureen O'Leary, the Director of Field and Organizing from the Interfaith Alliance, which is headquartered in Washington, D.C. I understand that in your capacity as the Director of Field Organizing, you've been looking at the way faith has been used and is increasingly creeping back into the public discourse around legislation targeting transgender care, as well as other policies. It's almost like a redux of going back 20 years to when we would hear Jerry Falwell and the Christian Coalition and folks like Pat Robertson uh, talk about the role and importance of public policy in lifting and building and protecting values. At that time, there were very few religious voices out in the landscape. A lot has changed in the last 30 years. Tell me a little bit about what you see happening today and the campaign or the program that you all have developed. Yeah, I mean, religion has been weaponized throughout our whole history, you know, to privilege um, a powerful few, um, to harm marginalized groups. But as we've, you know, witnessed the rise of Christian nationalism, particularly over these last couple of years, you know, progressive people of faith are waking up, you know, people are being moved to speak out against oppression and, you know, carry on this rich legacy in our country of people of faith participating in movements for civil rights and the need to protect 
our LGBTQ friends, family, and neighbors from these really harmful bills, especially the ones that target trans youth, people, you know, as a matter of religious freedom should be able to determine their own beliefs, who they are, you know, and this is really what's at risk. And so uh, with Faith for Pride, it is a month-long campaign during Pride Month this June that empowers and calls religious communities to push back against anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and legislation and support grassroots organizations that work within the LGBTQ community. You know, these bills are happening. They're moving on the state level. These efforts to erase LGBTQ identity in schools are happening in local school boards. And so so what, what do you mean a race identity? That feels a bit like uh, like an ad. I, and I'm sorry to say that, but like for somebody who's listening, say, like, well, what do you mean you're trying to erase an identity? Give me an example of what that looks like. So, you know, we're seeing across the country people, um, you know, like in Florida, this don't say gay bill. You know, we educators are being asked to pretend like certain students are invisible. You know, there is being a young person, you know, figuring out your identity, you know, really discovering who you are, that is a critical time where we parents and educators should be supporting kids throughout that process. But, you know, across the country, whether it's banning books that include, acknowledge, or feature LGBTQ people, or, you know, not having educators, you know, not be required to, or in some cases forbidden from, using a child's preferred pronouns that may be different from their assigned gender at birth, that is a message that they're sending to LGBTQ kids to say, like, you don't exist. We don't recognize you. Who you are is not valid. That's what's at stake um, with uh, these movements that are happening across the country. Mm. You know, as you describe that, you, the coalition that you've put together to support pride and faith, I mean, when you look at the doctrines, some of those traditions, including your own, you know, they vary. The, the Some are incredibly inclusive from the kind of birth to cradle processes and rituals. Others have created space for different dioceses and synods and, and denominational sectors within their particular tradition to uh, adopt rituals that reflect the community or the wishes of that particular congregation. And others are mute on the subject, like they don't take a position on issues. When you say that you're working to build this coalition, what strikes you about that theological diversity that exists within the coalition that you've created? You know, we are a incredibly religiously diverse country. Um, but, you know, within that diversity of belief, we have many shared values that motivate us to speak out for the marginalized, to stand with those who are being oppressed. And with that common thread, we've been able to bring a really diverse interfaith coalition together to stand, join in solidarity with LGBTQ people we're motivated by our faith beliefs. We don't we don't accept and affirm LGBTQ identity in spite of our beliefs. It's because of them. So there is so much power to be built in interfaith work. And that's really what Faith for Pride seeks to tap into. It's building that multi-faith coalition so that Religion is being weaponized against LGBTQ people. It's so that we can provide that counter narrative. We can build power that is going to say, 
no, this isn't what we believe. This isn't what our faith motivates us to do. And you are not the only voice that speaks on behalf of religion. What I'm hearing you say is that the scale of attacks that have, you know, begun to spread across the country, maybe have folks who don't necessarily belong to denominations or organized houses of worship that take a strong position, but they personally are feeling called to step into the public square and affirm and talk about that right to exist as you're describing it. Yeah. And, you know, within the way that we talk about our mission as Interfaith Alliance, we always say that we are a coalition of people of faith and of none. We all have a stake in this fight because protecting our LGBTQ family, friends, and neighbors is also about protecting our democracy. It's about protecting freedom of belief, something that is just baked into what we are as a country from the very beginning. And all these different attacks that we are seeing, you know, with the rise of Christian nationalism are all tied together. So Faith for Pride, we like to say, is this not the ending point, but it's the starting point for this multi-faith movement that we are trying to build to protect, you know, our democracy. That's what's at stake. You know, as you describe that in such stark terms, I wonder if you have seen in parts of the country where it might be a little harder to do that. The inside between the two coasts, what do you see happening? We, as Interfaith Alliance, most of our affiliates um, are present in red states, in areas that are not particularly hospitable to the kind of progressive faith voice that we lift up. You know, our the Interfaith Alliance of Florida, our newest affiliate, they have been, you know, speaking out um, against, you know, a lot of the anti-LGBTQ rhetoric that they're seeing in their community in Naples. For them, Faith for Pride meant showing up at Pride Fest as Interfaith Alliance of Southwest Florida, um, joining together as volunteers of diverse faith traditions to really, you know, stake their claim that, you know, we are showing up as religious people because you are part of our community. You are LGBTQ siblings that we are here, you know, to stand alongside in the face of, you know, this Christian nationalist motivated bigotry that is putting these communities under attack. You know, we also, as one of our Faith for Pride events, a diverse group of Christian denominations is joining together um, at Iowa City Pride, you know, offering blessings, prayers, conversations in love, um, as they say, you know, to have loving and affirming clergy and lay people present to, again, push back against this narrative that it's religion versus equality. It's religion versus LGBTQ identity, which is just not what so many you know people believe as motivated by their particular faith tradition. When you're talking to people and you hear uh, the argument that it's one thing to tolerate the presence of and extend rights to members of the LGBTQ community, it's another thing to celebrate it. It's another thing to uh, normalize it. How do you respond? Just to speak from my personal lived experience, you know, I'm an Episcopalian. I'm a person whose faith is very, I see is very central to who I am. I'm, I'm also a queer person. And growing up in the Midwest in a very conservative area, I both, while I was living there and returning to my home, you know, have seen this transition from, you know, skepticism to acceptance to celebration. And I think that that's where we're really finding a lot of faith communities are at. It's this turning point between 
tolerance to now moving into, you know, these are our siblings. These people are in our communities. They're a vibrant, beautiful part of this tapestry that, you know, not only that makes up our country, but also our congregations, our faith groups, you know, the people that we share a faith tradition with. So, you know, it's, it's got to be about more than tolerance. It's got to be about an active counter message of celebration and love for the kind of diversity that exists within our faith communities. How are groups in states that have seen a rise in the legislation that you were describing earlier, how are they messaging? How are they talking about this work? And could you give some examples? Yeah. So, you know, our affiliate in North Dakota, the Interfaith Alliance of North Dakota, there was a bill, um, SB 2231, that would have prohibited government employers from requiring workers to address and identify colleagues by pronouns that are consistent with their gender identity. Our affiliate, you know, gathered dozens of faith leaders to write a letter that they delivered to the governor saying, you have a lot of people that are claiming religion in order to justify discriminatory legislation that will deny people's their identity within the workspace. And we urge you to veto, you know, this, this legislation isn't what we as people of faith support. And, you know, the bill was vetoed. And that for me, it's a demonstration that change is possible, even in a state like North Dakota, where, you know, the odds can seem very, very daunting um, when you're trying to do progressive faith activism. How is that lesson, that experience from North Dakota informing your work? It can seem like in the Floridas, in the Texases, that this kind of activism isn't worth doing because the the road is so long, you know, the task is so difficult. But there are people, progressive people of faith that are out there that think that they're alone. And by gathering these coalitions together, we're finding that these people do exist, right? But they haven't been able to find each other to build power in that way. And so the lessons that we're taking from out there is that we're reaching people that thought they were alone in areas that are not hospitable to their progressive faith values. So visibility is so important. Positive counter message is so important because it draws people out that feel like they're the minority. Mm. It's interesting that you use that as an example. It reminds me of events that unfolded here in Montgomery County, Maryland um, in the last two weeks. On the other side, I heard that at a rally. Someone said, we need to keep coming out here because people think that we're the only ones with this point of view. We're going to attract more people. As this issue becomes more divisive in communities and as we approach an election year, what role do you think the faith leaders and the folks that you're bringing together in Pride Month, are you hoping to sustain this engagement or is it just focused on June? No, I mean, from the very beginning, this movement, Faith for Pride, it's Pride Month is the starting point, but it's not the ending point. As we head into a new legislative session, as we head into the election, these targeted attacks against the LGBTQ community are only going to continue. And in some cases, they're likely to intensify. So progressive people of faith need to suit up for the coming year because the other side, you know, people that want to weaponize religion or push messages of Christian nationalism, they're organized. You know, they're showing up in our school boards and our state legislatures. But we can show up too. We can show up to legislative offices and speak to our values. We can show up at school board meetings and issue public comment, speaking in the voice um, of progressive people of faith. 
it's going to be a long haul in some cases in order to move the needle, but it's a needle worth moving and we can only do it together in coalition with other people that are willing to stick their neck out um, for their family, friends and neighbors that are under attack. And how do you reply to a counter argument that sounds like this? Um, Embracing and celebrating people who are members of the LGBT community is a violation of my faith, that it's not about civil rights. It's about my religious rights. What do folks on the ground encounter that message? Do they hear that? Oh, yeah. I mean, we you hear it on the ground in communities all the way up to, you know, Congress um, and, you know, in previous years, the presidency. But our response to that is that, you know, religious freedom, it protects your right to believe as you choose. And for some people, that's not celebrating um, LGBTQ identity. But your religion does not give you the license to discriminate. Your religion does not give you a license to do harm against LGBTQ people and other minorities that are targeted by these ideals of Christian nationalism. You are free to believe as you choose. Religious freedom grants you that right. But where that stops is when it turns into a weapon to cause harm to other people. We're encouraging people to let us know what's happening in your community so that we can distribute that information so people feel less alone. They know where to go in order to be in community with other people. We're also continuing to gather co-sponsors. You know, we have 120 plus organizations, both at the national and grassroots level, that have signed on to the values of Faith for Pride and agreed to be with us in this fight for, you know, the coming year and years to come. Last question. Are you concerned at all about security? Are you concerned about these confrontations turning violent? You know, the Interfaith Alliance of Central California, um, a church that they work closely with, Our Saviors Lutheran, was recently targeted by vandalism because they're an open and affirming congregation of their LGBTQ neighbors. It was the Proud Boys. You know, they left their calling card and they did it because of the stance that this church has taken. But in the aftermath, you know, the interfaith community surrounded them. You know, they have, you know, helped raise money to repair their, their windows. And it is no understatement to say that there is a risk of violence, that there's a risk of pushback. But People should be mindful of safety, but it should not stop us from showing up for our neighbors. You know, LGBTQ people can't avoid or, you know, check out from the kind of uh, dangers that just come from them being who they are. So the more people that join this fight, I think the safer that we will ultimately make one another. Do you see this as a fight? I do. I think that It's something that is requiring us to both actively take on risk, but really, really, really put our values into action. And I think that that's why I call it a fight, because it's about taking action rather than being complicit in the kind of things that we're seeing. Maureen O'Leary, Director of Field and Organizing at the Interfaith Alliance, headquartered in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The Interfaith Alliance is a nonpartisan faith-based organization based in Washington, D.C. To learn more about Pride Faith, visit this week's show notes. 
In the coming weeks, we're going to be taking a closer look at the emergence of a religious political movement working to convince American Muslims to rethink their political alliances using the wedge issue of gender. This is an issue that has implications in the upcoming elections, especially in swing states with large Muslim voting blocs like Michigan. It also has an impact on gender-fluid Muslims and for American Muslim faith communities who continue to deal with anti-Muslim bigotry, discrimination, and threats of violence. But that's not all. When my son came home from school a few weeks ago, he asked me a question, something he had been asked in class. Why are Muslims anti-gay? It was then that this story became very personal and got me interested in learning more about why is this happening here and now. I'll be sharing more in the weeks to come. Coming up, we continue with another installment of A Prayer for Salmon from The Spiritual Edge. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. 